Welcome to A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library Podcast. It's brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. And today we have a local author on the podcast talking about fiction, talking about a new book, but we are talking a lot about art because we have Lynn Crawford on here. Lynn is a fiction writer and art critic and a founding board member of the Museum of Contemporary Art Detroit known as MOCAD, also a 2010 Kresge Literary Arts Fellow, and a 2016 Rauschenberg Writing Fellow. She's got lots of books that we're going to be linking to at lynncrawford.net, but her most recent book is titled Paula Ragossi. It was published through Trina Sofs in Detroit, which is another art space in downtown, just south of Eastern Market. And, oh my gosh, this book is incredible. In fact, conceptual in that the main character and the story is inspired by a work of art. It began with a painting and it was titled Pussy Galore by Peter Williams. This is something that Lynn Crawford encountered at Paul Catula Projects here in Ferndale where our library is based and uh, the character of Pussy Galore comes from a James Bond film. So as Lynn talks about, she got the idea to write a spy novel with a heroine with an anagram named Paula Ragazzi. But she didn't stop there. Each chapter in this book is her own personal but faithful response to works by various Detroit-based artists and spaces. Paula Ragossi is the title of the book. So we are talking about spies and detectives and how to engage with works of art with fiction writer and art critic Lynn Crawford. We'll be talking about her latest book. Thanks for tuning in. wanted to begin with a line from this book, the latest. Okay. Paula Ragazzi. Um, okay. And and tell me about it. And it's my favorite line of the book. It comes about half. Oh, thank you. Comes about halfway into it. Uh, I'll go ahead and quote it. Actually, I think. Sure. So I don't get it wrong. Sometimes late at night, I walk neighborhood streets and stand oh. in front of homes and sense stories. I do not make them up. Sensing is not the same as inventing. And when I, when I think of this book and how it is inspired almost from looking at art, this idea of sensing a story is so beautiful to me. I wondered if you could open up about that. Yeah, um, that's a beautiful question to open with because that's from a painting, um, that's from a body of work by the, the artist, uh, the painter Nancy Michnik, mm-hmm. who, whose work is very, I think, sort of mystical and layers of history of past and present and she I've I've been looking at her work for years but she had an exhibition at MOCAD Mm -hmm. and there were all these houses of where she grew up in Hamtramck Mm -hmm. and I just felt like I was sensing them like I was I I couldn't use language but when you're in a room of these paintings of places that she was familiar with deep in her past and some of them now are in the present how else can you connect besides trying to absorb her sense absolutely absolutely and that that kind of leads us into if you could explain for for listeners the 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 crux of this book does come from that uh the main character the title is all inspired from looking at art uh there's a beautiful uh, uh glossary or index at the end where we're 
we're referencing all the artists that inspire uh, the this book entirely. So I guess talk about how your sense of, from looking at art led to this book, Paula Ragazzi. Yeah, you know, I, from a young age, was told that I have no ability to sing or play an instrument. I, I'm, but I love music and I would have loved in another life to have been in a band yeah. and to work with people, you know, um, and to all kind of work together, the drummer, the singer, the piano player, that's the guitar. You know, I just love that idea. And twice now I've written books with that yearning, um, both connected to visual art. One was a, a book of Sestina's called Fortification Resort and the other was this. And it made me feel like we were all working together. So it was me as a writer, but I was looking at the painting. I was thinking about it, sometimes speaking with the artist, sometimes not. And the cover, because that's how the book started. So the right. painter, Peter Williams, who's no longer on, in this realm with us, but you might have known he lived in Detroit a very long time, was a good friend of mine. And I followed his work and written about it. And I saw this painting on a, on a, in a show at Paul Cotula Projects after Peter had moved and I couldn't stop looking at it. It just caught me, you know, like a tune might catch you or, or a color. When I found out the title was Pussy Galore after the James Bond character mm -hmm. and she was possibly mixed race. So there was something about that. I just knew that somehow I was going to write about it. And then I talk about this idea of, uh, again, just still jumping off of that inventing versus sensing because you are, art critic and fiction writer. So I feel like you have lived between those worlds of invention for fiction and having that sensibility. Uh, I, I really just thought you'd be a great candidate to just talk about really, and I know this is a broad question, but really what happens to us when we really connect to a piece of art that is in front of us? Um, this book has really uh, demonstrated to me the, the power of, of I guess the pure inspiration that can happen uh, from just looking at art um, and then your looking at art leads to sensing a story. Um, but I, I just thought you could talk about living in those worlds of art critic, uh, you know, museum world, uh, but fiction writer also. Um, what's, what's that experience been like for you as a creative? Well, thank you so much for that question. For one, I, I think I'm a, a very poor art critic and I don't like writing that way at all about art because it, it's like a binary relationship and I hate it. But when I'm writing fiction, I'm writing it with something. And as I said, in my mind, I'm in a band, <laughs> you know, and and we're playing together. And if the, the person happens to be a human in this world who I know and can speak with, that's one way to do it. And sometimes they're not. Sometimes I've never met them or sometimes they might have been passed, they might have passed to another. So either way, I feel like I have to kind of open up and let down some something and let something in, but then be very clear to bring an element of myself into it. So I'm not personifying them. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not trying to express them. Right. I would feel like I don't know, but the two of us together, me sensing the best I can what's in their work and then me bringing in what I want to bring in. It's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. how? 
And it seems less selfish. Not that, not that, not that I feel selfish when I write a novel at all, Uh but it seems like there's all this beautiful artwork out there and why not activate it? Why not prolong its life or give it a different home? Tell me about the uh, structure of this book kind of going into almost this yeah. detective genre, the agency, all of these, the 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 investigator, the searcher, the the curious eye, the, I think I saw you post earlier about Harriet the Spy. Yeah. So I My wondered about, yeah. yeah. But uh, talk about that book, that angle of it, sort of that detective. Yeah. Thing. I mean, I, you know, I've always loved detective novels and um, never thought I'd write one. But when I saw this painting, Pussy Galore, I knew that I couldn't call it in whatever literary project I was going to do. I couldn't call it Pussy Galore. So I used the anagram, same letters, different order. So Paula Ragazzi is all the letters of Pussy Galore. And I I also knew that I wanted, because the, the man who painted this, Peter Williams, was a huge influence on me and he was absolutely self-assured whenever he approached a canvas Mm -hmm. um and his work was very thoughtful and very confident and he went through a lot of drafts and we had long conversations about this so i knew i had to have a powerful person but also with an eye on the greater good yeah 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 and um since james bond the film that Pussy Galore came from was is sort of a detective action type figure. Mm-hmm. I thought, why not model my character on a more philanthropic, feminine version of him? I see this as such a celebration of all the artists we have in this area and also of art in general. Um, mm-hmm. I think that we often you'll often hear musicians say, I've been influenced by such and such musician, or I often mm-hmm often hear fiction writers who will say that um, while I was writing this story while listening to this type of music, whether yeah. it's, yeah. Um, so the, but the idea of having a piece of art influence your writing, it's just something that I never, I guess, fully considered the possibility of. And I think that it's, that it's beautiful. Mm. I, I go to exhibitions all the time and I see lots of local artists and I see their beautiful work and I, and I, I don't go home and say, I'm inspired by this artist, but I damn well should be saying that, Lynn. You know what I mean? Why do you think that is? I don't, I don't, maybe it's, maybe, and maybe, and I hope I'm not, <laughs> I hope I'm not alone here, but maybe it's because I just compartmentalize art and the gallery world as something mm-hmm. that I only engage with whilst I'm there or only engage with whilst I'm right in front of the piece. Mm-hmm. And I, and I give myself over to, the reverie of it while I'm looking at it, but then I walk away and I go go about my day. Whereas I could put headphones on and continually respin a song, the song stays with me. So this book just opened up that possibility for me. So well, that's interesting because if you have a visual artwork in your home, even if it's a poster, mm-hmm. you you engage with it and you see it. And I sometimes wonder if there's some sort of capitalist notion that permeates us unconsciously where well we're not supposed to tread on that that belongs to that gallery and that person because i felt that way a little bit when i started writing fiction about art or with art mm-hmm. i felt like well, if i write a review i'm in the service of the of the the form i don't know i'm not sure i'm articulating that well but uh, okay. then you realize that 
I haven't met an artist that isn't thrilled with someone interacting with their work. Oh yeah. You know, oh, yeah. and taking it off the wall, so to speak, or the floor or the sky or wherever it is. So it's interesting. I I had that same feeling yeah. before I started. I yeah. think I just think it's worth noting and celebrating that if you look at anything like a three by three or or a four by four frame, you're seeing I feel like you're seeing a world onto itself. So I guess something else to go on is we again you have this thing in the back of the book it's almost like a key of some sort or is it it is a key yes indeed yeah that's that's all the artists names including writers uh like previous guest uh peter marcus yeah he's been such a important inspiration and friend to me in in writing for sure he's um He's amazing. <laughs> Peter what's, Marcus plug. <laughs> yes, indeed. What's the, I guess, what is the word you would use to, to describe what your creative experience was making this book? Were you channeling? Is it like channeling? You uh, know, it's, it's, it's a little bit like that, but I also feel like, I also feel like it's communicating and interacting. And it's almost like when you walk through a forest and you're not you're feeling a little down and then you smell the trees and you hear a bird or there's some sort of there's some sort of experience of entwining experience that happens if you let it it's always there you just have to sort of let yourself engage Mm -hmm. you know and and i i feel like it's like that with visual art and to be honest besides peter marcus there aren't a whole bunch of fiction writers here. There's a lot of poets Mm -hmm. and Peter's also a poet, but um, many times I felt like, well, there's so much more art that I come across Mm -hmm. than the kind of novels that I tend to write. Yeah. And maybe they're here. Maybe it's just that I don't know about them, but I was, but I felt like, how can I give this more? How can we utilize it more and extend it? Mm -hmm and extend my experience with this right. and animate it somehow. Tell us more about the, basically the main protagonist, Paula Ragassi and, and develop, so develop. Paula is a detective and she's got a very strict routine because I didn't want to glamorize it. Like she's lonely and she puts herself in danger a lot. And she has a, a mentor who she respects and loves very much who has her back, but she's had a lot of, um, I, I didn't explain them, but she had a sad shadowy past sort of, but she gets back up and kind of does it again. I didn't want to glamorize it. Yeah. Um, but she really is passionate about solving these crimes. And there's other agents in there besides her. And I guess I just felt like I was interested in seeing some characters fighting for the, the good fight, mm-hmm. um, but, not, but not making it easy. And also all in their very own particular style. Mm-hmm. I love your writing. It's it's atmospheric, but it is mm-hmm. also so grounded at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how Thank you did you. that. Yeah. Um, Thank you. And then this is so cool until, uh, until I found this book. I had been unaware that um, Trina Sofs was, was publishing books. Maybe talk about that. This is such a cool outlet for indie authors. Well, that's so Rebecca Mazai, who, along with Joel Peterson, are the proprietors of Trina Soap, um, many years ago, 
when I wrote for the Metro Times, she was my arts editor. And that's how I met her. I was writing art reviews after the wonderful poet George Tisch was the editor. And then he left and Rebecca took his place. And she did. She was I was really worried that George was leaving because he's brilliant and wonderful and poetic. And Rebecca was also wonderful. And so we had a very close relationship that started professionally many years ago. And then over time, we just kept in each other's radar. And then, you know, she was the deputy director at MoCAD for a while. And so we've just always been in touch and we get along very well. So she was interested in this book. Um, and she also uh, is very interested in the, the painter who did the cover, Peter Williams. Mm -hmm. And she, so that's how that all kind of came together. That's great. Yeah. Um, and then this book also feels like a subtly like a celebration of Detroit too. Uh, there's yeah. there we have lots of locations here. I mean, maybe just maybe if yeah. that, is that an inspiration unto itself? We have Trina Soves, DIA, MoCAD artists, poets. It's all totally, totally. And there is Young World, which isn't here anymore. But I don't know if you ever get a chance to go there. It was it was Ben Hall, Andrew Mayhall, Jason. Um, I can't remember his last name, but it, they were, it was a, an art gallery sort of on, did you, have you been, were you there? I didn't get to go, no. It was amazing. And they brought in this incredible art and it was on this, you know, kind of edge of Hamtramck, Detroit. And there was really not much there. And they were just, oh, Jason Murphy was the third person. I was blown away at the work they brought in from all over the world. Um, it's so Detroit. You know, it's like this nondescript place and you go in there and it's like, oh my God, this is amazing, which I love about Detroit, by the way, is this way that you find things in places that a visitor might not expect them. Right. Yeah. And so it, it actually made me physically ill a lot to try to write about some of these exhibitions and places like um, Maya Stovall, um, the piece that I wrote for her and Carol Harris and Biba Bell you know, those were, were live performances. And I felt so worried I wasn't going to give them the what they needed, mm -hmm. the the quality of work mm -hmm. that would meet what they had done. Mm -hmm. And I felt the same way about Young World and the DIA. And I felt, um, yeah, it was really hard to try to measure up to the quality of the work that I was writing with. That's That's very reverent. I would have felt the same way, though. I would have felt the same way. Um, I can't help knowing your your past in in the criticism world. I also had a previous life where I was a music critic, so I have have written. Oh. I, have, I have written reviews, and um, and I just love to pick your brain because I have a little personal philosophy that sure. regarding criticism. Um, I I came to feel that it just how can I phrase this almost wasn't worth my time to write a negative review. And I found that it was much more worthwhile for me to write something that celebrated a piece I was extremely excited by or moved by. Uh, and the, hopefully the productivity of that would be that I would turn someone else on to the potential of being excited by or moved by this piece rather than bringing out the long knives and just taking down something with, with $3 words and, and, and disparaging it. If I don't like something, I'd, I'd just leave it alone and don't write about it. I'd rather just write about what I'm moved by. 
And again, I, this book kind of got me thinking about that. So I feel the same way, yeah. Jeff, a hundred percent. Yeah. I just, you know, I, I, I dislike that idea of mm. taking something down. It's like, come on, why? How, you know, like this person worked on it, let them do what they want. Just cause I feel, you know, it, it, it's, it's not the worst way someone can spend time. It's not, you know, you're not chopping down trees or sure. I just get sick thinking about that. Yeah. And what I find very stimulating and healing is conversing with something rather than judging it. it. It's, to me, it's a more respectful way to, um, and soulful way and creative way to approach something. Here, here, <laughs> uh, here, here. Paula Ragasi is the book. Um, what, anything else new or anything you're looking forward to? Have you been writing lately? What's, I guess, what's new lately? Yeah, so I, I'm deep into a new novel called Closely Touched Things. It's about 120 pages so far and it's multi-generational. It's like kind of a long family saga, mm-hmm. which I'm I'm really enjoying. Part of it is set in the time of, um, you know, the rhyme of the ancient mariner and the sea and, you know, whaling boats and all that creepiness and power that came from that. So I'm sort of, and then part of it is, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, um, I'm really enjoying that process and I'm not in a hurry. And the other thing is mentioning Rebecca Mazai and Trina Sof. Um, if I could just mention this, she's started this amazing publication online called Threefold, and it's partly produced here, and now it's partly produced in Paris because she spent some time there and found some people, I guess, who were interested. So, But it's film, music, um, photography, poetry, criticism, fiction, and I'm lucky enough to write a regular piece for it. That's cool. called imaginary dinner party. Mm-hmm. And I'm the fifth one is coming out next week, but I can just, I know that this is not visual, sure. but there's two books that I weave together. And one you might've heard of, it's called braiding sweetgrass. Oh yes. While Kimmer and it's indigenous scientific knowledge. And it's about plants and she's a, a PhD botanist and she gives a very scientific and beautiful, uh, series of explanations about our earth and about certain practices that were eradicated by colonialism, but she's also very positive about the future. It's just, it's brilliant, but it's very detail oriented. And then this novel called Things by George Perec, are you familiar with him? No. So can I just say a little about him? Please. So George Perec was a French writer um, and he was a part of a group called the Uli Po, which is loosely translated as um, in English as workshop for the potential of literature. And the idea of this group was to write under restraints. So for example, George Perak wrote a book without the letter E. So that would be one of the restraints, a lipogram. Another one was a sestina, which is a poetic form from the middle ages based on six words. A previous book of mine, Fortification Resort is all sestinas or morphed sestinas. But anyway, this book was a really famous book in, in France. It reads like a straight novel, and it is. And it's a lot about objects and consumerism. And it's, so I thought these two books would be, would be interesting. But I just think it's interesting to add that the lipogram that Perec uses in, in his book, which is the absence of the letter E, 
it's translated as Lavoid. And he said he lost both of his parents in, in the Holocaust. His father was a soldier. His mother died in Auschwitz. So he said, I lost what was most dear to me when I was young, my mother and father. So I'm taking out what is most dear to the French language, the letter E. And I'm writing a letter, uh, a novel. So something that sounds gimmicky actually came from a, a, a different place than that. And I think sometimes when writers write too comfortably, we find ourselves telling the same story again and again. And the Uli Po and this group that George Parekh is a part of that I've been very influenced by also, even if you don't publish a book that way, it's good to do those exercises so you're not regurgitating right. what you think is you all the time. That is sound advice. In fact, <laughs> before I wrapped up, I was going to ask you for advice. You've just given me, you've just given me great advice on, on writing, you know, specifically. <laughs> um, one other, but one other thing I, I would love to ask before we go is just, I think that going back to that, uh, that when I talked earlier about how I wasn't, I guess I wasn't allowing myself to absorb the art enough for its influence to, to stick with me. Mm-hmm. And I often think that that uh, there's, there's a portion of the population that almost doesn't know how to enter an enter a gallery or even access that intense engagement with a with a piece um they know that there's exhibitions and receptions and they know they got to go in and and look but it's it's so kind of quiet and metaphysical and 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 personal it's such an interesting thing the way we engage with with art and i almost think that some folks don't think that they even know how to and um there's no question there i'm just kind of rambling that out have well, I think if you don't do it, you don't know how. Right, right. And I think that for some reason, some people have a hard time feeling like in the same way you might pick up an instrument or whatever music that you play. It, I mean, I think with art, it's the same thing. You you enter it and you let it enter you and you spend a lot of time and you also can think a lot of wrong things before you get to the quote unquote right thing. Beautiful. You know, you can make a lot of mistakes and go down a lot of false paths. And when you're writing creatively about work, you're faced with that. It's not like, okay, we're going to go out with friends after and then I'll get back to see that show sometime, Mm -hmm. which is also fun. But you do have to spend the time, I think, getting to know it and letting it in and, and making mistakes. And I think, again, this book is the result of what happens when you profoundly engage with art. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about it, Lynn. Thank you, Jess. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. It's been a pleasure to chat with you, Lynn Crawford. Oh, I appreciate it. You have a great day. And thanks for your questions. They were great. And that was our chat with Lynn Crawford, fiction writer and art critic and founding board member of Museum of Contemporary Art Detroit. We'll have links to her website as well as Threefold, the new literary magazine that's online that she talked about where she has pieces regularly featured. We'll also have some more info about her latest book, Paula Ragossi. Thanks for listening to another episode of A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library podcast, and it's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each episode is by a local musician named John Duffy. 
If you want to support this podcast, go to ferndalefriends.org. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, or leave a comment, or just tell a friend. If you've got some friends out there that are really into the art world of Detroit, I think they might like this book and this conversation, so consider sharing it on social media. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening.